Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. And now, here is Pastor Anthony Riley. Let's dive in. Good morning, Sunrise. How you doing this morning? You can do better than that. How you doing this morning? Amen. I'm so glad to be in the house of the Lord. My name is Anthony Riley. I'm the campus pastor for Rialto, and I couldn't wait to get here today. I wonder if you feel the same way. Maybe this week you have been trying to figure things out. Maybe you possibly trying to give up on something or someone but I want to encourage you to lean in on Jesus. I don't care what you're going through. There's nothing too hard for our God. You and I just must be willing to come to the table and say, Lord, I need help. So I'm very excited to get into the word today. Let's pray because I'm ready to jump off. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for what you're doing in everyone's life, oh God. I pray that you do something different today. I pray, Father God, that those who are in this room and watching online will recognize that they need you. I also pray, Father God, that they leave all their issues at the door. And I will pray that they come with a heart that's willing to say the name Jesus. I pray that you meet them right in that place, oh God. Open our hearts and our minds, Father God. May we leave here different than the way we came. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. For the last few weeks, we have been tackling this series called Seven Days to Live. And in week one, if you've been following our journey, we've been talking about how Jesus, in his last seven days of living, had a lot to say to us as well as his disciples. In fact, this series leads up to the cross, but we also talk about things after the cross. And in week one, we talked about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And we painted a picture of how Jesus entered in to his destiny. The people thought he was going to come in on this horse and do something grandaire, but he didn't. In fact, he came in on a donkey, and he came in a state of humility. That's something we can learn from him right there. And the question became how they're waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. But yet, at the end of the week, they was ready to reject him. In week two, we talked how Jesus entered into Jerusalem, and he went straight into the temple. He was so upset because what was happening in the temple, he began to flip over tables and protest because he said, my house should be called a house of prayer for all people, but you robbers. Last week, Pastor Steve talked about the end times and how everyone is interested in the end times. But the question is, are you ready for those times? We talked about being prepared and having your mind set on something new and something different. So the Bible declares, no one knows the day nor the hour when he shall return. But the question is, are you ready and are you prepared for it? 
Today I'm going to talk through um, the fourth day of Jesus' life while in uh, the Passion Week. And there's many things I can focus on. I can focus on his time at Gethsemane. I can focus on the washing of the feet uh, of his disciples. But I want to focus on the Last Supper. And throughout this series, we've been pushing you with a question. And the question is this. If you only had one week to live, how would you spend it? If you had one left, one week left on this earth, how would you go about your business? Many of you might decide to tour the world and try all the exotic foods you can get your hands on. Others might decide, you know what, I want to take the family to Disneyland or go on some type of cruise. Many of you might say, I'm tired of family and friends. I want to be by myself. <laughs> Amen. The last seven days of my life. But the question is, is, how would you live out those seven days? And what we have been doing is slowly showing you how Jesus, he was so focused. He came to seek and to save the lost, and he was fixed on the cross just for you and for me. So for our time this morning, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 26. This is where I'm going to spend my time. In this narrative, you see Jesus' last words, kind of his last event with the disciples. In fact, all the Gospels uh, capture, if you will, this event. But I want to focus on Matthew chapter 26. While you're turning the pages, I want to bring you up to speed. Jesus is doing a ministry for three years. In fact, he's been around the region. He didn't go more than 100 miles out of his birthplace. But he's going throughout, and like any other week, this week is very interesting for Jesus because he begins to put things in order. The last four days, Jesus has been rebuking, correcting, challenging the actions of the people. In particular, he's been challenging the so-called religious leaders who should have taken people to God instead of away from him. And because of their plot and because of what was going on, Jesus had to kind of uh, get out of Jerusalem for a couple of days and begin to set things in order. But now, things are starting to move forward. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 17, these words are written. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparation for you to eat the Passover? Now, we must understand on the first day of the festival, that was Thursday. So they were on the outskirts of Jerusalem because Jesus was outside of the limelight because they were trying to kill him. So now they come to him saying, okay, Lord, where do you want us to prepare this Passover? So he begins to give them uh, instructions, but I kind of want to focus on that word Passover. Passover uh, began when God took Israel up out of Egypt. He said, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Before I do that, I need you to get some lamb's blood. I need you to put it on the doorpost because I'm going to send the death angel and I want to make sure you're covered. So he does that and God does a miraculous event and wipes out all of the firstborns of Egypt and now they're in or going to the promised land. So every year they celebrated this because of what God had did for them. 
So Jesus responds with James or John and Peter by saying these words in verse 18. Jesus said, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. In this text, Jesus recognized that his time was coming to an end. He was beginning to transition, so he gives them orders. I need you to go find this certain man and go to this certain house. Now, if it was me, I'd have said, okay, Jesus, do you have an address to this location you want me to go to? Do you know the person's name? You've given me this general information. But in Luke, we get additional information. It says, Luke in 22, verse 10, it's recorded this way. Jesus said, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. Now, in this record, we get a little bit more information of, of kind of the instructions that God or Jesus gave to John and Peter. He says, I need you to go to a certain uh, a town or Jerusalem, if you will, and I need you to find this man. He's carrying a jug of water. Now, this might not seem interesting to you, but they kind of knew what was going on. This is very important because a man carrying a jug of water did not happen in those times. In fact, that was a, a task or a chore for the woman. Now, don't look at me like that, ladies. I'm just explaining the text. I'm just giving you what the scripture says. But the man would have stood out because a woman would carry the water this and there. So when they enter into Jerusalem, they see this man and they follow him. And he enters this house, and that's where they begin to do the Passover. The house is actually located on Mount Zion, and we believe this individual was rich. He was wealthy. He had a nice two-story house. Um, we believe he was a follower of Jesus because there was no debate on when they found the house. Amen? So I want to kind of talk about the room in the house. Uh, I have a picture up here. When I was in Jerusalem, I had the opportunity to actually go into this room, and, and it's still today considered one of the holiest places in Christianity. And thousands of people walk in this room on a daily basis, and it's quite fascinating because the, the painting on the walls or the stone masonry work is still and can be dated back to the time of Jesus. So I was so fascinated with it, I had to take a video. And this is kind of a video that we took, or I took, on my phone. And what's interesting about this, I was able to kind of scan the room, if we have that video up there, and kind of show kind of what God was doing in that time. And everybody was so fascinated. We're touring. I'm in awe. I can't believe it. And the room is about maybe a thousand square feet. So Jesus says, go up to this room. Prepare, it's all furnished. And I mean, it was such an amazing time. So they followed the rules of Jesus. John and Peter did. And in verse 20, it says this. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. Now, we don't know if John and Peter went and sent a runner to go get Jesus or they went themselves. All we know that they're back in the room. They settled. 
They're enjoying their time and they're having the last supper. I want to first talk about this table because I want you to kind of be grounded on the table in scripture and the table in your living room or kitchen. The table in your kitchen living room sits about 34 to 36 inches from the ground. Now, when you're hungry, you go to the kitchen, hopefully, and, and get your meal, and you go and you sit on a chair and have your dinner. That's how we see eating around the table or supper like. In Jesus' time, it was a quite different. In fact, the table was about 10 to 18 inches from the ground. The disciples or those in those times did not sit on chairs. They sat on cushions or pillows. And their meal was not like an individual meal. It actually was a communal meal. So they would dip their hands in a different, different uh, plates, eat their food. They would sit on their left side and they would eat with their right hand and their feet would be away from the table. If you can imagine Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, this is how it would be. Okay. So now they're in this room, they're sitting at this table having a meal and then Jesus says something quite odd. In verse 21, he says, Surely I tell you, one of you will betray me. Now, if I was one of the disciples, I would have asked, What? Skirt! One of us is going to betray you. I've been with you for three years. Why would I betray you? You should be able to understand that because you've been at your family functions and you're sitting around the table and one of those family members just say something crazy and you all stop, look at the person and say, you all right, dude? You're acting kind of weird. And, 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 and what's interesting is what, what's happening here is the, the disciples felt the same way because a look at verse 22, they responded by this. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. The scripture said they were so saddened. They was extremely awestruck because they couldn't believe those words came out of Jesus' mouth. But he goes on to say, Jesus, that is, in verse 23, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he was never born. I don't want you to miss the heavenly language there. Jesus is speaking futuristically on what's going to happen, which lets me know that he's not a Johnny-come-lately type of a God. But he's already letting them know that I know you guys are up to something, but I want you to know that I know that you're plotting against me. So they're sitting back wondering what's going on here, but Jesus is making it plain for them, and he's letting them know before it happens. In fact, he is validating what the scriptures talked about in old. And then this is what I find interesting in verse 25. Then Judas, the one who betrayed him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You said so. Come on, Judas, you knew you betrayed Jesus. In fact, you spoke of it the week before or the day before. You probably got the blood money in your pocket. You're just waiting for the opportune time to turn him over to the religious leaders. And you have the audacity to ask Jesus, do you mean me? 
I wonder if anyone in here has uh, betrayed Jesus. I know it's too early. Amen. In verse 26, it says, while they were still eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, even Judas, saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, in these verses, Jesus began to transition into a new covenant. Prior to this, the covenant was in the Old Testament where a lamb would be slain for your sins or for their sins. The blood will be passed and transferred, so now the person is deemed uh, clean, if you will. What Jesus is saying, I'm now beginning to introduce something new. And we're going to institutionalize this because we can't go on killing animals. And I don't want some religious rules. I want a relationship with you. So Jesus says, I'm going to set aside the animal and I'm going to take its place. And because I'm taking this place, it's not just a daily thing, it's an eternal thing. But the question is, are you and I willing to come to the table? So the concept is shifted for this feast. So now the bread and the wine represents what Jesus is about to do because he has not went to the cross yet. And he's preparing their minds because they need to be ready when the transition happens. So he said the new covenant is no longer the Mosaic law. Now, it's Christ's law, which is full of grace and truth. In fact, Jesus actually fulfilled a prophecy that was spoken of in the prophet named Jeremiah. Look at Jeremiah chapter 31. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. That's the Mosaic law. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Verse 33 says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So here it is, Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy that was spoken of by Jeremiah. And it's not about religious rules, it's about a relationship with him. And now Jesus is making it very clear. And it wasn't just for them, it's for you and I, because it said he covers a multitude of sins. That's Jesus. It goes on to verse 29, it says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit from the vine, from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You and I must recognize God's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, was never this earth. It was always a different kingdom. The disciples just couldn't understand what was going on, so he's now beginning to align things and get things in order. And he's saying, I will return, but when I return, we're going to celebrate because all things are become new. What's interesting is after they did all of that, eating the supper and, and doing all of those things, the scripture says when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It was custom in those days after every 
uh, Last Supper or Passover meal, they would leave with singing Psalms 113 to Psalms 118. They sung those songs. Why? Because that's the songs they sang when they were delivered out of Egypt. My question is, if God delivered you, are you still singing for him? Or are you pouting your lips saying, Lord, because you weren't with me, I quit. After they sung the song, they went to Gethsemane, and that's when things begin the transition. There's so much I can glean from this particular event. As I said earlier, I can focus on the washing of the feet. I can focus on the the, the suffering in the garden of Gethsemane, but I want to focus on this table. And as I really look and unpack and glean from this text, I want to focus on your relationship, my relationship, and our connection with Jesus. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write these three things down. I've identified three commitments you must be willing to do if you want to stay in connection with Jesus. Number one is this. You must be willing to come to the table. Many of you are broken in this room because you've yet to come to the table. You want to do your thing. You want to do things your way. I get it. That used to be me. But then I recognize if I want a better life in him, I'm going to have to put some things aside and be willing to come to the table. Right here it says in Matthew 26, 17 again, it says that uh, John and Peter said, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? What's interesting about them, they were humble enough to continuously come to the table. What do I mean by that? Jesus arrived on the scene three years prior, and he selected these 12 disciples. They were ordinary people doing ordinary things, living ordinary lives, but when they heard the news of Jesus, it changed their thinking. The word, the word excuse me, compelled them to say, I have to make a shift. I have to make a change because I'm willing to follow him. And many of them left everything behind. Some of them left their families, some of them left their careers, some of them left their family businesses, their dreams and their future because Jesus gave them something they never experienced before. And now three years later, they're still running to him, open hands, open arms, saying, where do you want to have this last supper? They came willing enough to say, yes, I'm here, Lord. And my question to you this morning, are you making yourself available still to Jesus? Matthew eleven twenty eight says this, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Where do you stand this morning with Jesus? Have you ever invited him into your heart or have you stopped? coming to him altogether. This text here, come to me, means I need you to come despite how you feel. In fact, it's active, it's present tense saying, continuously come to me. And I want to break those two words down. He said, those who are weary and burdened. 
Now, the word weary stands for if you had exhausted, uh, if you're struggling, if you're stressed out. So Jesus says, come to me if you're weary, if you're stressed out, if you're heavy laden, if you come, I will give you rest. And many of you are not resting today or yesterday or the day before or last year because you stopped coming to the table. He goes one step further and said, if you have burdens, come to me. Which means if you have a heavy load, uh, if it's too much for you to bear, if it's weighing you down, I need you to come. Because by coming to me, you will find rest. He goes on in verse 29 and says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The truth is, we're all yoked to something. What is a yoke? A yoke is an instrument that ties two beasts together. And the one who's more experienced is in the inner. And they tie to the immature beast. So what the mature beast is teaching them, my yoke is going to make it better. So what Jesus is saying is, my yoke is easy. You just must be willing to come to the table. I wonder if you ever came to that table. Now, what's interesting here, the disciples are not perfect, but they were willing to bring their flaws, their issues continuously to Jesus. What about you? If you want to have this connection and this power we've been talking about, you have to come to Jesus. This is number two. You must be willing to come and stay at the table. Throughout the three years, Jesus exposed, he challenged, he corrected, he stretched the disciples in different ways. And through these experiences, they were given opportunities to learn and grow from the master. And each day was different. But the same common denominator, who? Was Jesus himself. And he knew they were falling off, they were frail, because in verse 21 again, he says, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Now, this is where I want to make the point stick. I want to analyze three people from this text. I want to analyze Judas, John, and Peter. Let's first talk about Judas. When Judas heard the words of Jesus, he went running to him with open arms. He left everything behind. For three years, Jesus and, and, and Judas walked, talked, did ministry together. For three years, Judas saw the miracles that Jesus performed, and he was also allowed to perform those miracles. He also, along with the other disciples, saw amazing things, but what's interesting about Judas, he was actually able to keep the money back. So my question becomes, how did Judas make this poor choice? Because as time went on, his loyalty began to diminish, and after that, here comes the poor choices. What did Jesus ever do to Judas that he would betray him and turn on him. Look what Judas did in verse 14. Then one of the 12, the one called Judas Aristocrat, went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me 
if I deliver him over to you. So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. What shifted in his life where he felt he had to turn on Jesus? What did he not hear? What was he expecting? Did Jesus not deliver? The same question I've had for some of you in this room. Why did you walk away from the table? What did Jesus ever do to you but love you and give you grace? Did he not give you the husband you wanted? Did he not give you the woman you wanted? The job, the car? Have you ever walked away from Jesus? Are you thinking of walking away from the table? If you are, I would say, please don't. Because he will take care of you. You just got to get out of yourselves. Don't worry, I've been there before. Amen. Breathe in, breathe out. But at the end of the day, God is saying, I need more of you. Or he needs more of, you need more of me, less of you. But in order to do that, you and I must be willing to stop and humble ourselves and say, Lord, I'm at the table. Let's look at the actions of Peter and John. They had the same experiences with Jesus. They were part of the 12. In fact, the scripture says they continue to come to him. How else can I serve? Where else do you need me? They had an open mind and an open heart. But they stayed intact. So my question is, why didn't Judas stay intact? In fact, with limited information, they still followed Jesus. Let's look at Luke 22. Jesus replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jug of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where's the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? What limited information is they still went? They didn't know the man's name. They didn't know what he was wearing. They trusted Jesus. And because how Jesus always delivered, they said, why would he not do it now? And before you step away from the table, hasn't Jesus always delivered with limited information, he's still going to make a way out of no way. You and I just have to stay committed to what he's asking us to do. And with limited information, they followed his instructions and stepped out on faith. While they're stepping out on faith, Judas is around a corner in a closed room having secret conversations on how we can have opportune times to get him caught up. For a glance, he took his eyes off what Jesus wanted to do. What about you? Are you having side conversations? Listening to everybody but Jesus? And as you listen to those other people, they're heading you in a direction that's self-destruction or possibly are you listening to Jesus because when you do, he will take care of you. Judas had every opportunity to stay at the table, but he decided to exit the room. And I want to speak to you in this room. If you're thinking about exiting the room, don't go there. But if you continuously walk out of the room, I will tell you this. 
Jesus would allow you to do that. He won't keep you if you don't want to be kept. Sooner or later, he's going to turn you over to your own vices. In fact, John 13 says this. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do it quickly. Uh-huh. That's what Jesus is saying to some people in this room online. If you're about to do it, do what you're going to do. And if you're going to do it, do it quickly. But if you want to be about my business, then we all must come humbly to the throne. But I want you to know you don't have to make that decision. Come to the table. Stay at the table. Don't exit the room. So again, Jesus would never force himself on anybody. The choice is ours. If you want this relationship with him, you have to first come to the table. Number two, you have to stay at the table. This is the third commitment. You must bring others to the table. Here's the deal. Somebody brought you to the table. Somebody brought me to the table, and I'm so thankful that they didn't give up on me. But if you want to keep this amazing relationship uh, uh, going with Jesus, you have to continue to stay with him. But he also wants to use you as an instrument to bring other people to the table. What this narrative teaches us is simply this. Our relationship with Jesus is not just for us. He welcomes all people at all times who's ever daring to call him Savior and Lord. And what I find interesting about this text is, despite the disciples' frailty, their their current and future actions, Jesus continuously welcomed them and shared a meal with them at the table. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him three times. He also knew the other disciples were going to scatter and hide out of fear behind a locked, closed door. But despite all of that, Jesus still invited them to the table. That's grace. And this grace is not just extended to them. It's also extended to anyone who calls on the name of Jesus. I want to focus back on verse 26 again. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, that's you and I, for the sins, for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' ultimate purpose was to seek and to save the lost, which is you and I. He was so willing and so committed that he went to the cross without saying one word. He was beaten. He was bruised. And yet the only words he asked the father was, why has thy forsaken me? But this is the good part. Jesus never forsook them nor us. We must be willing to come to him. And despite Judas's actions, he still invited him to the table. He still washed his feet. I don't know if I could do that. But thank God I'm not Jesus. 
But the story of Judas is a sad one. But in the end, it was his choice. That doesn't have to be your choice. Many people don't know this, but do you know that Jesus prayed for you? Before you were born, he prayed for you. Before you was in your mother's womb, he prayed for you. In fact, it's recorded in John chapter 17. Listen at the words of Jesus. My prayer is not for them alone. That's the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me, that's the Holy Spirit, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. So Jesus knew everything you were going to do before you sat here. And he prayed to the Father that somehow, way, you would hear the word and that word would transform your life and that you would ever so be changed. I first want to talk to those who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'd be naive to think that you're in here or not in here. You know where you stand with Jesus. But the question is, how is it going for you? Is something missing? Are you irritated? Are you frustrated? Are you at your wit's end? Is it this big hole and you're trying to fill it with other things? I'm here to tell you it's never going to work. That place is only for Jesus. And he wants to invite you into a relationship with him. So if you don't have that relationship, I want to walk you through a simple prayer. Uh, it's simple. It's easy. In fact, I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. This prayer is for you in this room and online. The question is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And if not, I'm talking to you. If you want to have that relationship with him, I just want you to recite these words after me in the silence of your heart. Just say, Jesus, I'm broken. I need help. I need to change my thinking and the way I'm living. I believe that God sent his son just for me. And today I'm going to make that commitment to follow you, Jesus. Come into my heart. I thank you and love you in your name. Amen. If you made that prayer, I want to be the first to say congratulations. The Bible says when one person receives salvation, there's a party in heaven. So after service, I don't want you to leave here without speaking to someone. Please go outside to the next step table. There's someone there who want to walk you through the steps that you made. Or if that's just too much for you. We live in a texting world, right? I want you to text next at 909-287-7797. There, someone behind the phone will get a hold of you and have the conversation with you so that we can help you take your next steps. What about the rest of us? those who have a relationship with Jesus.
Are you still coming to him? Are you still at the table? In your mind, do you feel that some way, somehow, Jesus disappointed you? Life hasn't worked out the way you thought it should. Whatever it may be, I want you to stay at the table. Have a communication with Jesus. It's through that conversation that you're now able to invite others to him. We're just two weeks away from Easter. Who has God put on your heart to invite the church? Let's make it happen. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. I thank you for your amazing people. Meet them where they are, oh God. Give them that joy that's unspeakable. Make the crooked way straight. Come alongside them as you know how. We thank you for your word. As we transition, Father God, for tithes and offering, I pray, Father God, that they will recognize that this is an act of obedience. The truth is, Jesus, you gave 100% of yourself. You didn't put a percentage on what one should give. But you did say, as your heart desires, give. May we follow your instructions. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen and amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.